Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to let you guys know that there was a lot of work that went into this episode. Um, it was just very difficult because of some recording errors, some of which we could have prevented, some of which we definitely could not have prevented. Um, but yeah, in future episodes, it will be a lot easier to listen to. I tried making this as good as I could, uh, given that everybody wants this out. Recording took longer than expected in itself, and then editing took a monstrous amount of time, so please understand that as you go and listen and uh, critique the audio, I suppose. Uh, just know that this episode is going to be subpar as far as audio quality goes, but I think as far as content goes, that we had a lot of great stuff to be covered. So with that in mind, here's the episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Cast podcast where sweet dreams are made of memes. Today is June 25th, 2420. I'm Wafo, and joined with me is Ronza. Hey, how you doing, Wafo? Fantastic. Hey, it's April Fools when we're recording this. Yeah, I thought it was June 25th, 2420. Yeah, no, it's actually April 1st. Dang, we should probably reset my clock. So, plan for this episode, we have our special guest, Jaden McNeil. From Australia, he's the current Skub Average World Record holder. He's also the current Oceanic Record holder for Skub Single and a former Skub World Record single holder. Also, is the current OCR holder for Pyraminx, Square One, and Two by Two, and former OCR holder for Fewest Moves Single. Man, that's a lot on his belt. It's crazy. Yeah, guy. he's also really fast at three by three. Um, it's really tough for him to get any sort of like national record because he's well from Australia where they have, well, you know, Felix. But um, Jay is very, a very accomplished solver. He averages, I think, eight seconds or some, something very, very around that area. Uh, but we'll have him to discuss all, everything that he's been doing with cubing, as well as some cool, interesting developments that have happened over the past month of not recording. <laughs> Has it really been a month? It's been a moment. Oh, yeah. geez. All right. Well, let's move on to housekeeping then in that case. So we have our uh, second Puzzler winner. Congratulations to Damien Bias. You win $5 from thecubicle.us. Thanks to everyone who sent in submissions, and thanks a lot to the Cubicle for setting us up with a prize. Uh, we're also very, very, very open to suggestions when it comes to guests. Basically, if you want someone on the show, just let us know, and we'll try to contact them and have them on the show. So uh, email us your guest suggestions at our email, cubecast.gmail.com. And we'd like to apologize for skipping some national records uh, with our last episode with Kit. We, we just forgot to cover some of them. Uh, and we're picking up a new structure. Uh, we're basically going to be recording uh, uh, the continental records and the world records and picking apart what we think is interesting national records. So basically, we wanted – that was our original intent, but we've ended up just reporting every single national record. Yeah, while we understand that certain people can feel left out and certain countries can feel left out when it comes to reporting national records, um, we wanted to mend that. But looking through all the records, there are literally hundreds, more than 300 national records that have been set in the past month. And unless you, well, you'd like to, unless you'd like us to sit here for a couple hours and just go through the whole list and not really say anything interesting about them, I don't think that would make a really interesting episode. I don't think that you guys would think that that would make a really interesting episode. So what we're going to be doing is that we're going to be 
uh, finding some interesting records. If, Of course, we're always open to suggestions. If you want to suggest any particular national records that you think have great merit or great value in the community, uh, send those to us and tell us why you think that, and we'll uh, we'll look through them and see what we can include in the show. But really, what we what we're looking for overall is uh, growth in the in the speed solving community uh, as far as into new countries. Like I saw many national records that I was archiving um, that were from countries with only a, a few competitors in them, or even the first results from a particular country. And then there were also some national records that were ridiculously close to world record times that just won't be uh, showcased this episode, not because they're not noteworthy, but because we have to keep it fair for everybody. So uh, this episode, we won't be listing any national records, but from here on out, we're going to be weeding through them and seeing what we can include, what we can include, because listing them all is just not practical and not really what a lot of people want to hear, because um, we, we could allocate that time to our guests and to other news that's going on. But of course, if something is very pressing, if something is very impressive, if something is very um, pertinent to the particular episode that we're talking about, then of course we're going to include it. So yeah, thank you so much for understanding. By the way, we have a comprehensive list at the end of the show notes. So if you guys want to see all of those things, just go ahead, drop into show notes. They're at the very, very bottom of the show notes. We've listed all 300 plus of them there. Yeah, there's like 20 pages of them. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It it really is. Like our show notes is like three pages long and the rest of it is just actually just records. Like congratulations to everyone on their records. So, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to take away from anybody. (laughs) We don't want to take away from any like impressive world records or even even just uh, not world records for uh, any national records because being the best in your country, that's a pretty big deal. And it, it just... It's a nice problem to have that there are so many records that it becomes impractical to say them all. It just shows how much cubing is improving worldwide, not only um, not only like improving in the events themselves, but also Im- improving as far as accomplishing the goal of the WCA, the mission of the WCA, which is to have more competitions uh, in more countries with more people and more fun under fair and equal conditions. And that's really what it's all about. So thank you guys again so much. Congratulations to all the record holders. And now we're going to get on to some news. All right. Well, speaking of like records and stuff from the WCA, we have new WCA board members. Hungary, we have Oliver Perga and Pedro Santos Guimaraes from Brazil. So the current WCA board is Ron Verbruchem from the Netherlands, Ilkyu Choi from Korea, Natan Regenbach from Brazil, Oliver Perga from Hungary, and Pedro Santos Guimaraes from Brazil. A really interesting fact, uh, Ron is the only original board member left on the board. Also talking about new things that are happening in the WCA, yesterday, or the day before, I think it was yesterday, T-Noodle 9.0 was announced by Lucas Guerin on the World Cube Association page. So there are only a couple changes. For those of you who don't know, T-Noodle is the official WCA competition scrambling program. The major changes that have been made since the previous iteration, which was T-Noodle 0.8.4, are the initialization for 4x4 scrambles is significantly faster than before. And in long scrambles, alternating lines have different colored backgrounds. So it makes it a lot easier to read, makes it a lot tougher to get lost when you're reading scrambles. Yeah, that's a cool thing. Now on to our regularly scheduled news. <laughs> Regular news. <laughs> well, we're actually just going to be reporting on world records and continental records over here, starting off with Harrow Spring 2015 in London in the UK. There were actually four uh, African records here. Uh, African records in the UK? Yeah. 
So that's cool. That's really, really cool. Uh, the first one was uh, by Honor Cronin from South Africa with a 5x5 AFR single with a 121.18, 5x5 average by the same guy, uh, 140.86, a 6x6 single of 302.75, and a 6x6 average of 320.83. Now, that's pretty impressive. Like That's, that's a, pretty damn good. That, I mean, like an AFR in the UK. Like I don't know if he lives there or he traveled, but that's still pretty cool. I'm pretty sure he lives there because I thought I saw his results from, uh, or I know I saw some South African results from the UK site at FMC Europe. Oh, okay. So I think it was the same guy. I'm not entirely sure. I don't remember off the top of my head. But that's pretty cool. Congratulations to him. Now we're going to move on to, oh man, I have no idea how to pronounce this. So I'm very sorry. But uh, Grudziad's Open 2015 in Poland, where there was a blind world record mean set by who else? But Marcin Kowalczyk or Masko, uh, with a 26.72 mean. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, there's, there's really nothing left to, other to say than it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's Moscow. But uh, the other thing is, like, very soon we'll talk about, like, what's even more ridiculous. Uh, Moscow Spring Open 2015, a 7x7 world record single by Vladislav Shevelsky, right? It's a world record single of 2 minutes, 36.58 seconds. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. First of all, I, I can't solve 5 by 5 at that time. I'm, I'm completely incompetent oh, I, 5 by 5 I definitely can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I've solved a 7 by 7 on a couple occasions. Once, because, like, I, somebody just gave me a 7 by 7 and was like, yo, just take this. And I'm like, okay, let's scramble it up. And, like, casually start solving it. And, like, 20 minutes later it was solved. I'm like, this is... I don't get how anybody can do this in, like in under 10 minutes, let alone, like, doing it in two and a half minutes. That's crazy. Man, I get tired from doing three by three. I can't imagine, like, just cubing for two minutes straight like that. Oh, yeah. Not only that, it's a seven by seven. There's so many damn pieces. Like, holy crap. Yeah, I, I get tired out doing, like, a Mega Mink solve. Like, seven by seven is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, all right. Speaking of um, other records, we got Abracadabra Magic 2015 in Merida, Venezuela, with two clock South American records. By Jurgens Filiagi. I I'm sorry if I mispronounced if I mispronounced your name. I have no idea. Um, there's a clock SAR average and single. The average is 8.65 and the single is 5.56, which is the single. Okay, the single world record right now is something like 5.25. Mind-boggling. It's insane. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't pay attention much to clock, but it must be pretty impressive to be able to do it that fast. Yeah, like, I don't even understand how it works, man. Too many like gears inside. I'm more fascinated by the mechanism rather than the puzzle. Yeah, I really like seeing when people these days like have GoPros and they do the overhead shot of. Oh, so you can actually see the things moving around. Yeah. Exactly. This clock is clock is really boring to watch for a lot of people because they're like, I just see basically <laughs> flip. Yeah. It's done. Whereas with cubes, you can really see all the colors moving around. Uh, but yeah, I really appreciate those solvers who um, have the ability to record with a GoPro and post <laughs> that way. Because it, it shows just how technical and how precise your hands have to be. Same thing with Square One. Like Square One, you can't see a lot of what's going on, really, because people's hands are just moving too fast. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to the next uh, competition. The uh, Guanzo More Fun Site 2015. 
in China, we got a blind ASR single and a blind world record mean by Kai Jun Lin. Yay, congratulations. Yeah, the, uh... <laughs> we were just talking about how the blind world record mean was ridiculous before. Here's what it is now. Oh, jeez. Well, like, it was... Oh, he beat Marchin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry, Marchin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the anyway, single was 23.97. That's for Asian record. And world record mean beating Maskov's 26.72 is a 26.41. Oh, what? <laughs> uh, we were just saying how ridiculous Maskov's was. And then we just like, oh, show up with uh, nowhere. Kaiju. Actually, he didn't show up out of nowhere. He's already good. Man, congratulations to him. Yeah, it's really nice to see blind. Um, I think this has been said before, but it's really nice to see blind not completely dominated by one single person. Because well, Maskov has multi-blind. That's there's no question about that. But to see people getting continually getting better at blind in ridiculous ways for all the other blind events, that that just goes to show um, just the overall development in cubing worldwide. It, it's just so cool. Uh, speaking of also crazy with blind records, we have Edinburgh Spring 2015 in Edinburgh, Scotland, in the UK, where we have a world record 4x4 blindfolded single by Ollie Frost at 2 minutes 10.47 seconds. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, jeez. Think, 4 blind is faster than 7x7. Seven seven. Is it? Yeah. Oh, damn. 4 blind is right between 6x6 oh, six six and 7x7. Seven seven. Hot damn. So it is. Oh, that's... That's scary. Ollie's good, though. Ollie's, Ollie's are really awesome. Uh, all those guys who've gotten 4x4 blind world records are amazing, obviously. Yeah. Like, I remember when... Didn't Faz have it at one point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was like... Nobody expected that. It was a super easy scramble or something. Yeah, yeah but many congratulations to Ollie Frost for being pro at that. That's, I, can't, I can't fathom how, <laughs> how one would even decide to that. Because like, I tried 4 blind... Nah. <laughs> it's nah, hard. I'm good. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, things are hard. So let's move on to the next uh next competition. The uh, Tokyo Pyraminx twenty fifteen in Japan. Yay! We had a uh, Pyraminx ASR single by Woo! Minato Imai uh with a time of one point eight. Single. What? Yeah. <laughs> one point eight Pyraminx, like <laughs> I don't know how people turn pyraminx. I still don't. Like, I, I still have trouble turning pyraminx, to be honest. I'm pretty sure it's with their hands, but I still don't get how. Yeah. It's the tips that get you, for me. Yeah, like, how how do you even... How do you even turn the tips? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Rob Yao posted a video today on speed solving. Well, of, it was titled, Minato Imai, Pyraminx ASR Single of 1.93. But it was really just a video of Yohei Oka from, like, four years ago or three and a half years ago, getting the ASR single of 1.93. And you can clearly see the the Pyraminx like flips over, and then he kind of slowly goes for the tip and stops the timer <laughs> and it's still in two under, seconds. Yeah. Like, it's so nonchalant, but it's still so, like, how? <laughs> how does that even happen? I don't, I don't get it. All right, next competition we have is, well, we're going to talk a lot about this in a sec, but we have FMC Europe 2015. In 22 different cities in 18 different countries all across Europe. And the only record that we're going to be talking about from that was the FMC Asian record mean Sepai Tomaki Okiyama from Japan, who currently holds also the world record single for a fewest moves at 20 moves. So his ASR mean is 27.67. 
And think, 27.67 at that competition didn't even podium. He got fifth place. <laughs> the, the results from that competition was just so good. But we're going to talk about that more with uh, Jay. So, All right, uh, so those are the records that we had. Uh, there were no results currently reported for REC Cube Open 2015 in Chennai, India. The SCMU ICT Open 2015. Shout out to Akshay Rao, by the way, in uh, Mumbai, India. Polish Open 2015 in, well, Poland. And Johns Hopkins Winter 2015 in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, they're just not uploaded yet. Uh, and when we um, w- when those are uploaded in the next episode, we'll cover any records that are uh, beaten there. Quick editor's note. At this point, I actually was able to use my microphone, so it's going to sound better from here on out. And without further ado, we have the current Skube Average World Record holder, Jaden McNeil. How are you doing, Jay? I'm doing great. What about you? Doing pretty damn good. How's life? How are your strawberries? Uh, they're pretty good. Pretty tangy. Delicious, indeed. That's pretty tight. Hopefully you don't get oh, them yeah, all man. over your like, computer screen, all over your... Uh... I actually squirted one like a few minutes ago. I had to wipe it off. It's kind of <laughs> oh, good gross. job. Good job. All right. Welcome, Jay. After the break, we're going to be talking about stuff like how you got into cubing, where you are with cubing now, about FMC, all this other great stuff after this commercial break. It's brought to you by thecubicle.us. Jay was already joining. I'm not used to this because usually we have the guest on before the or after the commercial. Yeah, break. like this is new. Um, I don't think you really accomplished anything, but I don't know. It's an experiment. Yeah, if you have, if you, if you listeners have any suggestions about how we could better like actually do the podcast, because we only pretend to know what we're doing, please leave us a an email at cubecast at gmail So Jay. Now that you're here, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you got into cubing? Uh, what accomplishments you had? Uh, how you got to where you are? And what cubes you use, etc. and so forth. All right, that's a lot to go over. Yeah, I'll start off with like you know about me, why I'm relevant. I currently hold the skew world record average with 3.1 seconds. I'm also known for two by two. I guess I have oceanic record average and fifth in the world with a 1.79 average. So that's about where I stand as far as being relevant goes. How I got into cubing, about four years ago, a few friends at school were doing it, like not really for speed, they could just solve it, and I thought it was pretty interesting. So I looked up a tutorial online, learned from Dan Brown's video, like I'm sure many of you have as well. And yeah, the interest just kind of spiraled from there. How I progressed, kind of just practiced, looked at what fast people did and emulated that to an extent. For beginners, I really don't think that step is as necessary as just doing solves. Because I think as you practice something, you get more efficient at it over time, whether it's with how many moves you do or your hand ergonomics or whatever you want to call it, and how much you rotate. You'll look ahead. Just That's another thing that just naturally improves with practice. But also seeing how fast people are doing it is interesting because you might see some sort of difference in turning style or how they rotate for a certain case or whatever it may be. But yeah, if you're a beginner, just practice. You'll be fine. Yeah, what do you average on all your events right now? Uh, let's see. Two by two is like really low two, and then sub two if I feel like it. Three by three, let's say mid high eight seconds. Four by four, low 35 to like mid 36. Five by five can range from like a minute 15 to a minute 20. Six by six is like 230 to 240. 
And then 7x7 seven seven is kind of a train wreck because <laughs> I don't have a good cube. <laughs> I'd say, like, maybe low 410 on a good day, but whatever. One-handed, this is interesting. I used to average, like, low 14, maybe high 14. But I've since changed turning styles because I used to use all of my arm moves with ring finger. But recently, after getting a really good official average, I decided to change because I'm just really sick of my turning style. It's bad. It's gross. It, it's not effective. So I switched to pinky, and now I'm averaging, like, low 16 with that. What other events are there? Um, Pyraminx, like, high 3... <laughs> I guess. Uh, square one, what I average like 17, 18 or so. Clock is like sub 10, maybe low 10. Megaminx, I'd say like a minute 15. Then Skew is like mid low three or so. Okay, what other events are there? Um, blinds. Blinds, yeah. Oh, blind, yeah, let's skip that. What else is there? <laughs> fewest moves. Oh, yeah, fewest moves. I can sub 30 like most of the time, I think. Beat. That's like sub 120, I guess. Wait, really? Yeah. You actually Damn. Or do you just... Yeah, I'm practicing for Worlds just because it'll help my sum of ranks and get more records on my profile. Yeah, where are you on the sum of ranks list right now? I think I'm like top 15 for average and then something god-awful for single. So the really interesting question is, are you better than Mitch? Uh... Depends how you define better. If it's off of some of ranks, then unfortunately no. So right. we uh, we briefly briefly went into uh, FMC real quick. Uh, there were a lot of notable results from FMC Europe, basically. And since you are someone who averages sub thirty, on you know consistently mm. almost, uh, what yeah. do you think your uh, what do you think of the results basically from FMC Europe? There was a lot of I think really good results. Yeah, I think it's really cool because the podium was like crazy. I wouldn't have expected. Like, what was it, four or five people to get 26 averages, which is... Like... Yeah, uh, yeah. we had um, the, the podium, or the top four, I should say, were all sub-27. And then uh, in fifth place was Tomoaki Okiyama with, what did we say earlier, it was 27.67, I think? So it was only four people that got 26, but I mean, that's still, like, fuck. Oh, yeah, and then Sebastian Toronto got eighth place, like with the sub 30 that's ridiculous yeah like Like, just thinking of the scale of the competition like you have 170 plus competitors in 22 different sites all across europe time syncing everything if anything like this goes to show like the proof of concept of having time synced competitions across many areas of course it gets much difficult much more difficult once you get out of fmc yeah speed solving events would be like another story no question Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, like Kit, like last episode, Kit was mentioning all these concerns that are all completely and utterly valid. But I think that it's it's super crazy to have so many amazing people at FMC from Europe and from Japan to have Tomoaki Okiyama be like, "Yo, this weekend actually works out for me. I'll be there." That's pretty awesome. Ah. Uh, sh- Yeah, I gotta go. Fire alarm. Okay, quick editor's note. So at this point in the episode, Wafo's building and a fire alarm go off, so Wafo had to leave. However, we had to continue recording the episode, which was happening on Wafo's computer. So when we pick this back up, Jay and I are going to be talking about Scoob. There is a fire alarm in the background for about 40 seconds, then it cuts out after a nice little high-pitched tone. But once that's over, there are no more fire alarms for the rest of the episode. Sorry for the inconvenience, and if it just sounds weird, um... It was hilarious.
All right. Um, so yeah, moving on from FMC, let's talk a little bit about Skub. Uh, what do you think about where Skub is right now? Because I know that, well, both of us have been really involved with Skub, um, yeah. with method developments, with just being fast at very convenient times. Mm. So I think where Skub is at the moment, first I'll say Skub has progressed like really fast compared to other events. It only took like a year, less than a year for the average to get low three seconds, which... I never At the start of the year, everyone was thinking, like, maybe there'll be a few five averages, maybe, like, a high four average if we're lucky, but, no, we progressed really quickly. Yeah, I never I never saw Skew getting faster than, getting faster than low four, but, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> yeah, now I'm thinking, like, sub three isn't even a pipe dream anymore. It's almost there. Like, Jonathan Klosko is averaging low three with sack Matt when he's in practice, so. Oh, my God. It can happen. Yeah. I can't. I just can't wait till it gets sub two. That, yeah, I can't even imagine how it'll be sub two, but somehow it wouldn't surprise me. There'd be have to be some sort of different method, though. That's the only thing. Or just people get used to one looking, which is scary. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I know there's a lot of like ways to one look a cube using layer solutions that involve a sledgehammer, because yeah. sledgehammer is easy to one look because everyone knows how that damn trigger works. <laughs> yeah, basically, except for like people who use beeps which is like nobody or people who use mine which is like nobody yeah, yeah. everyone's gone the sarah route everyone goes the sarah route yeah because the thing for method is it starts off with something i guess most people are familiar with which is making a layer oh yeah it's like something you do on two by two or just whatever else i could think of i don't know when you start on three by three you're like beginner's method yeah and then from there it's just using sledgehammers which is decently efficient like, even if you use Intermediate, using just Sledge and Hedge can be decently efficient. Yeah. Um, it, and it's interesting. Like, I, I remember we sat in a Skype call. Um, just did, Didn't we do an average of 12 or something where all we would do to this cube is at most two moves and then the rest were sledges? Yeah, we did, like, this really dumb method where I did two moves to permit all the corners and then solve everything with sledges. And I was averaging, like, under 11 consistently-ish. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird because I don't know it. Skub, I didn't realize how trivial Skub could get in that way. I guess Dean Beardsley has that on me, but whatever yeah. happens. Thanks, Dean, for giving us the the advice that we actually really needed. Well, uh, Dean, seeing that it was actually a lot a lot more simple than we had ever uh, than we had ever considered. But I don't know. Looking ahead on the looking ahead on Skub is still one of my hardest things to do i i can sit there using 14 and a half of my 15 seconds of inspection just trying to see just trying to look ahead as much as i can like how much do you usually look ahead in every one of your solves um well firstly i'll always see the layer pretty much like always the layer oh, definitely. and sometimes track a few centers a good one to track is the u center because that usually gives a good indication of what kind of case you're going to get and then kate just other centers whether they'll be solved or opposite yeah. And usually with that, you can get a really good idea of what case you're going to get. But yeah, that's a really good point, because you once you've tracked that opposite center from your layer, you only need to track two more centers in order to determine what, what center's case you have. Yeah, and sometimes it is that convenient, but other times it depends on your recognition method. If you don't know how a case works with other recognition methods, you'll need to track more than three. But yeah. again, that's case dependent. And then the other thing I track is corners. 
Because you only need to know two adjacent last layer corners to know what corner case you're going to get. Yeah, I I haven't gotten that far because in my solves I just try looking ahead after after block. I can usually imagine what welder's mask case I'm going to have. Then if it's an easy enough case, I can start tracking centers. And then that's as far as I get, because after that, I just got to start the timer or else I'm going to go over inspection. Yeah, a good thing to practice for Skube is for easy layer solutions. Like one for me will be like small R prime R small R. Like yeah. easy triggers like that and how that affects everything. Because for centers, all that does is a U perm across, across like, what was it, L, U, R, or something like that. Yeah. And then two of the corners stay oriented or something like that. So it's just good to practice little things like that. Because they'll be involved in other layer solutions, whether it's at the start or the finish of the layer solution. Yeah. How much would you recommend learning algorithms for all those cases that you can get using Sarah's method as opposed to just using sledges over and over again? Yeah, don't worry about those until you're like really serious about Skew. Once you know Sarah's advanced and Sarah's advanced is like almost good enough if you want to be sub four, but if you want to get like low three, then you're gonna need the algs for the five or four sledge cases. Because they save a lot of time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would, I would assume so. Like, much rather be doing ten moves than twenty moves. Am I right? Yeah, like it all. It saves a second, like for a lot of cases, easily. Wow, that's and that's, that's a considerable a difference. Yeah, for skew, one second can be the difference between like first place and like tenth place. Like, I, I can't imagine what worlds is going to be like because the uh, the South American skewing community is. Not 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 too shabby, and thinking that you're going to be there. The one guy I'm looking out for is John Alexander. What's his name? Tablada Temple. Yeah, that guy. He's very 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 good at Skube. <laughs> like, I just subscribed him on YouTube and said that he's producing. Oh my god, it's ridiculous. It's... Yeah, like he's the one guy I'm thinking. If I don't win, it'll be him, no doubt. Yeah. Um, are you? currently pursuing anything new with skew any new algorithms uh would you what are you doing with skew just solving it more solving it less um yeah when i practice i try to learn like a few new algs for bad cases and slowly work towards more efficient solves also work on like different layer solutions just anything that'll give me a little bit of a boost there isn't really anything method wise that i've had to do a significant change for. Yeah, how many cases do you know from other methods? I know a little bit of MEEP. I don't know any L5C, but I know algs that'll solve, like, the diagonal face and OLL, leaving me just a U-perm or a Z-perm or whatever it may be. Yeah, those EG cases or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then from your method, I know how, like, some welds mask cases work, which are, to me, just layer solutions that preserve a block. Yeah. And those do come in handy again for look-ahead because if you have a solved block then it may not be a better case when there's more center solve, but it's easier to recognize, in my opinion. Oh, definitely. At that, that point, you have to really determine like whether or not it's worth it for the recognition time or for the actual solution time. Yeah. Was... My rule of thumb is if it's significantly worse to preserve the block, then I just don't bother. Yeah. Like, if it's going to be more efficient for you to, to just go for the layer and not preserve the block, then by all means, disregard the block. But for my method, yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> if I'm sitting there, I'm just like, I got this cool block looking here. I'm not I'm not color neutral, so I'm just like, I got this cool block looking here. It's got one of the colors that I'm familiar with. Just got to deal with this. Got to gotta, mm. gotta do it, even if it's absolutely awful, even if it's like the worst possible case I can get. Because I still, still don't know very many of the cases that I really should know. I've just forgotten them after not solving. How would you recommend for everyone to just keeping consistent 
with um, yeah if you care enough about event an event don't put it off for like more than a few weeks because you'll almost be guaranteed to start forgetting stuff and that's for something like skew where you need a lot of algorithms to stay good in at this point in time which is low three then you can't afford to forget too many algorithms because it'll add up a lot yeah. very quickly how would you compare learning skew algorithms to learning algorithms for square one? Because I think it's pretty similar because of how, how weird they are, how, how specific to the events they are. Well, I'm not too familiar with learning square one algs. I used to know a few like weird parody ones, but I think the thing for square one is... Maybe it's because I'm not familiar with square one, but to me, a lot of the solutions just don't make sense for square one algorithms, whereas for skew, you can at least track layer pieces and sort of just put them in differently. Because I know there's a lot of cases on Skew that are just taking the corner out and inserting it some really weird way. And that makes them a lot easier for me to learn. Yeah, another thing with um, Skew algorithms is sometimes it'll just be solve a different layer and then do a sledgehammer or something. Because I know there's, for when you have what is a vertical U-perm and then peanut, instead of just doing Sarah's intermediate, which is four sledges, you yeah. can just solve a completely different layer in four moves, do a sledge and it's done. So it's half as many moves, and it's like equally as intuitive. Uh, let's move on to the Pyraminx, because you have the OCR for Pyraminx, and yeah. Tim Major doesn't. All right. Yeah. Um, how? Um, how? <laughs> uh, Just I, I got there. good. Like, how do you like, turn? Jeez, like, I still don't know how to turn. Like, this has been an issue, a reoccurring issue, is how to turn para. That's actually a good question, because the thing is, one of the big things that helped me get good was changing the way I turn. Because for the longest time, I'd say since, like, mid-2013 to when I actually gave a crap about Pira, I just did keyhole with, like, a really bizarre turning style and used really... didn't use my inspection very well, and... Could only really get like high four averages at best. And then once I started getting into it, I learned more top first methods. And for those of you who don't know, the way I solve a pyramid is I just reduce the pyramids to three edges on one face and then solve them really quickly. So I learned a bunch of methods that did the first step and then practiced that a lot. And then I watched, what was it, Drew Brad's How He Turns and just sort of tried copying that a little bit, but also using some ideas and applying them in different ways. So, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's a, it's, I have no idea how turning that fast just happens. Of course, after doing it for a long time, you're just like, oh, yeah, it's just like using my hands, but no. Yeah. Well, one thing that helped me was since the way you sort of turn a pyramid is you have, like, two hands turning at the same time on different tips, sort of practicing doing, like, two-gen turning re-gripless because that was something I used to not do, and it really was not pretty. So learning to do that regripless did help a lot for different cases or whatever it may be. Yeah, for sure. Also talking about methods, in general news, we have a whole bunch of method news for 3x3 specifically. Recently there have been a lot of One Look Last Layer subsets that have been coming out, particularly this one by Jabari Narudin called Line. Did you happen to see this? Yeah, I looked closely at it. It's a definitely a cool idea. As somebody who's very fast at 3x3, which is I consider to be sub-9, um, at least for right now, what do you think of all these developments in One Look Last Layer stuff, or ZVLL, or OLLCP, any of those things? Yeah, well, my the way I see it, if an algorithm is good enough 
Migrant life, I mean, like significantly faster than doing OWL to PLL. And if the recognition is straightforward, definitely try to learn it because it's pretty clear it's going to save you time. That's the way I see it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you saw the algorithms for the line, but they're actually like really, really finger friendly. Like they're Yeah, really I looked at good. them. Yeah, he knows what he's doing when it comes to algorithms. Would you, would you of actually course. like consider learning these cases, or do you actually already know yeah. a bunch of one? Well, the funny thing is, I actually just know a bunch from experience, but I could learn more definitely. Just I don't know, a bit lazy at the moment. Mm, understandable. What is this one look? OLCP EP. Yeah, I'll explain it briefly. It's just for an OLCP case that's bad, and by bad I mean bad enough where it would be better to do OLL and PLL. They just one look last layer algorithms, so you oh. learn what is it, twelve for each OLLCP that's bad, and you can always skip PLL. So in that case, it's like a lot faster. But I don't know if recognition's gonna be as good. No, definitely not. I, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, it's kind of a fine line. Depends on the case, really. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. mm. if you have one of the awkward cases for OLL, and we have the worst possible CP for that, I'm trying to look at your edges. One of the main reasons why ELL isn't nearly as popular, recognition isn't nearly as easy as, that doesn't come as naturally to people as OLL, PLL does, because we keep drilling into people's heads, oh yeah, just learn PLL, and then learn OLL. But with ELL, you have this whole different scheme, this whole different way of trying to approach the puzzle that's really unfamiliar to so many people that it probably wouldn't be worth it for them to learn Cases yeah, of that Yeah, the problem with ELL is that the recognition is purely just look at the orientation and then look at the permutation and just do whatever algorithm accordingly. Whereas with PLL, since orientation's already done, you can just look at permutation. So that's already half of it cut down. And then the other thing is there's blocks that will show up for pretty much any case, except for like a handful where there's no blocks. Yeah, and for ELL, the only blocks you can have are if something, if an edge is solved in place. Yeah, exactly. Everything so, else is just like color association, really, or just straight up looking at cycles. Yeah, and then, yeah, opposite edges with other pieces always stick out a lot more yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, PLL recognition is definitely a lot better than ELL. And also the algorithms are better because I, I don't know why, but ELL algs just suck. They There's just, a lot that are just pretty bad like i i know about two-thirds of ell but the case i think that for the case that i know i have pretty decent algorithms for i just i just do pll faster there's no question about it yeah my pll's i've done so many thousands of solves with them that they're it's just clockwork now except for things like you know the g perms but let's not (laughs) talk about (laughs) g perms you and your g perms yeah don't even start Look at you. Yeah, there are good ELL cases, don't get me wrong. Like Anything that's a three-cycle, or maybe even like a two-flip, those are decent, but also they have good recognition because they all have at least one edge solved. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I only know the cases that have pretty decent recognition. All those, the the two adjacent flip ones with a U-perm, where one of the edges is flipped in place, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother with that, because that's... Yeah, those are just nasty. Yeah, they have nasty algorithms, they have nasty recognition, just not worth it in general, so probably never learn those. Um, another interesting thing re- regarding like 3x3 three three methods in general, a couple weeks ago, uh, Statue Korik posted a thread called Let's Talk About Petrus. Did you happen to see that? Yeah, and this is something I've been thinking for a really, really long time, and I'm sure a lot of people have as well. Yeah, 
For those of you who don't know, um, Satchikorik is a pretty old solver. He's been solving for a long time. He came out with a term, uh, Big Four, basically. Yeah, he came up with this term for 3x3 methods called the Big Four, which would refer to um, the CFOP or Friedrich method, Rue, ZZ, and Petrus. Usually in that order, most viable to least viable, or most popular to least popular. Thinking about it now, I don't know any people who use... Or I don't know, I should say any. I don't know many people who use Petrus as their primary method. Even even on speed solving, but there are tens of thousands of people. Um, this doesn't show up as much. Uh, what do you guys think about Petrus being viable as a method right now, uh, considering all the advancements with CFOP, which is the obvious one, and then much more recently with Rue? Yeah, I've been thinking this for a while. Just Petrus just really isn't viable. All of the steps are just... 2x2 two two is kind of, how do I say it? It's weird to inspect for a block like that. Then I guess so is a Rue block. I don't know how to explain it. Um, yeah, it, it depends on your recognition style. Yeah, I'll leave that out. I guess 2x2 two two can be a good step. But then expanding to a 2x2x3, two by two by the difference between like Rue block building and then Petrus is Rue has like one set out block that you're meant to do, and it means it's easy to look ahead for because you know what you have to do. With 2x2x3, two by two by there's three possible spots to expand for and, like, three entirely different corners of the cube, meaning if you want to do, like, the most efficient solution possible, or at least a very, very good solution, then you'll probably have to rotate a fair bit. And yeah, and something that's, like that. that's so fun. And it's a weird step to do on the fly, expanding a 2x2x2. Two by two by two. I can't think of anyone who's found a really good way to transition between the two without just planning the whole block and in inspection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and rotating around a two by two by two is just a lot different from what people are used to. Because like a lot of people are used to doing Y rotations, or with root solvers, don't rotate at all. It's easy, you don't rotate literally at all. But with Petrus, if you have the two by two by two like in the DFL position, you have to like turn your left hand all the way clockwise in order to like even. It's just, it's just very different. It's a whole paradigm shift with um, being able to recognize pieces, being able to identify what would be best to do next simply because of how free um, how free the method is. Yeah, and then from there, so after the 2x2x3, two by two by which requires a lot of rotating and a lot of thinking on the fly that really just isn't good for speed cubing, where Rue, you don't have to rotate at all, you know where the block pieces have to be. It's got a good move group because it's just R, U, M moves. But anyways, after the 2x2x3, two by two by you have to orient all of the edges and... I guess years ago when cube hardware was relatively bad compared to what it is now, the idea of orienting all the edges and reducing the Q, the F12 to just R and U moves seems good because it's a fast move group for, I guess, bad turning cubes. But now, like, yeah. nowadays, it's clear that 2Gen isn't the best or isn't clearly the best move group because RUF can be very fast, RUD can be very fast, etc. MU can be really fast. Yeah, like, it's not just IU that's clearly the best, it's just a different move group you're reducing the cube to for some reason. Not to mention the recognition. Like, if if you're... Uh, like, say, when you're trying to expand your 2x2x3, two by two by you have to rotate the cube, so then you build the 2x2x3 two by two by to a particular way. Orienting edges after that just requires that much more thinking to say, okay, yeah. well, what... Um, how am I orienting edges? Like with what, with respect to which centers am I orienting the edges? And then yeah, actually going out and doing it. And yeah, it's really weird. 
like again comparing it to Rue because Rue has an edge orientation set as well but Rue you only have to take into account the U and D colors which are opposites meaning they stick out more meaning easier to recognize on the fly and then solving them is fairly easy because there's only a few possible cases you can get and all of them are just reducing them to one whereas with Petrus there's like so many different EO combinations you can get and not only that um so, so many cases, and they're weird to recognize because you have to memorize four rules relative to... So, assuming the 2 by 2 by 3 is in the back, it's relative to the U and F centers, which is a bit weird. And then there's four rules around that, which are... I won't go over them now, but they're annoying to do in a speed solve. Yeah, very. Like, the best you can do is just three-move conjugates over and over, occasionally cancelling into them. That's yeah. it. Well, Alpha, what do you think about... Um the root orientation step uh, do you build your do you build the same blocks every time do you know if that's a normal thing in the root solving community well for for just eo in general or block building for block building do you use the same blocks uh, usually? i don't actually i'm y neutral y x2 neutral but um for the most part it doesn't really matter it's just what yeah. you're used to uh i don't yeah. advise on doing like full cn like blocks are weird in Rue. like especially when you get to eo but like if you're gonna do full cn then go for it but for me i just do because I got used to, uh, like, CFOP Petrus style. Like, people who like leaving yellow on top or white on top. So that's what I got used to. So that's what I build my blocks on. But it's not like you're limited to those. Yeah. That's another thing to mention. With Rue, not being color neutral isn't as limiting as it is with doing some sort of fixed order with Petrus. Because really with Petrus, you have two options when it comes to block building. Either you're efficient and you have to do a bunch of crappy rotations and thinking or you do like the same blocks or very similar blocks every time and just completely kill efficiency and then kill the point of using petrus which is to be more efficient yeah and the last thing that we have yeah on... it's a new alex set called eo plus rf flip by ross Benson, horn boston mm -hmm. it's not really like that new to me i mean it's cool like seeing this because i haven't really talked about it i haven't looked into like it's just when you know what if you're doing like f2l and you have like that yeah. edge during f2l you're just pretty much like flipping that and orienting the top but like for root yeah. it would be flipping that and orienting all of eo which kind of is not good for me because you still have to do corners right and most people yeah. do cmll and like you'd have to end up doing a coll to preserve the orientation like yeah it's i i always go on about iran on uh, like if you're gonna make something for rue make it so it benefits the method rather than like because <laughs> yeah. like, like there's so many there's like so because it's a new it's a new method right like it's relatively new compared to everything else so like yeah. for a cfop like you've had all this time so you got to like develop like really cool things but for rue it's just like a bunch of like new people trying to get their name immortalized for the sake of being immortalized with that method so it's just like yeah. uh, it doesn't actually like do anything it's not any better than the original rue Right? Like, yeah, I'm it, seeing a lot of methods like yeah, that recently. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see people making stuff up. Like, great, use your brains. Like, use them. Right? Make something up. Mm. But like, <laughs> but don't assume that it's brand new or it's gonna help. That's all I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah. What I have to say about um this Alexei, because I did look at it as well, and my thoughts on it are, because I am familiar with the room method, and I know that skipping EO, I don't know. I don't think that's good because. During EO, people like Alex Lau, they influence ULUR, and that's mm -hmm. a really good thing to influence, because if you don't, then it's not a lot of moves, but it's still, like, 
kind of a pain to do, like, as another step. (laughs) Another thing is, having the RF edge flipped, for CFOP, that's a bad, relatively bad case, but for Rue, what is this, like, one, two, three, four, five. It's like seven moves to fix, and it's doesn't seem like that bad of a case to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. What do you think, Waffle? Do you think having the RF edge flipped is a slow case I, for Rue, or I've, is it I've like... never, it's, it's a relatively fast case because you're just pretty much putting the the flipped edge on M and then just doing MUs. Yeah. Like it's MUs yeah. are like with the cubes we have today, it's really really easy and really really fast to do. Like I would probably consider this if it was you know out still in the Type A days. But yeah. now it's just it's it's not really that as relevant now. Like it's really interesting to think of it like that. Like uh, Alexet being relative to the hardware we have available. But that's mm. just my personal opinion on this matter. Like on this new Alexet. Well, even with uh, Cube hardware advancing, that that uh, the advances in Cube hardware have kind of influenced the improvements in finger tricks overall. You look at people who've been cubing since the 80s, and you look at their styles of turning, it's it's so much different. Just because they had so much different, so different of hardware back then, they had to really use their whole hand in different cool ways. Have you ever seen some of the um, some of the solves from the 1982 World Championships? Yeah, it's a totally different style, because the cubes are just so much slower, so much not tolerant to corner cutting, so you have to be exact... I think I associate that with what I mentioned earlier, which was skew progressing ridiculously fast. And that's because at this point we know that how much corner cutting matters and what you need to have good corner cutting, which is rounded pieces. Which is why ever since like the Moyu and the Shang Shao skews came out, skew got really, really fast quickly. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah, even from August straight out, it was it was a pretty clear drop in times uh and it's very it's, it's still dropping oh, as far as the world is concerned like that i don't know how long that 310 will still last based on what Quosco and uh Jean Temple are doing yeah, and you and you are doing insane. obviously yeah i'm still in it don't worry <laughs> <laughs> sure hope so yeah it would kind of suck if you weren't um so the last thing before our next commercial break we're going to talk about this one question uh, that we covered last time with Kit that was actually asked for Kit, but that Waffle and I think is still really relevant to talk, to talk about, especially from the perspective of somebody who's primarily a competitor, uh, and that's from Corey Sikowski. It's, with speed cubing's rapid increase in popularity, competitor limits are becoming more and more common. Even Worlds now has a competitor limit this year. Um, I feel like competitor limits are at least extremely low cutoffs and everything including 3x3 will be necessary in the future with a rate that cubing is growing if we want to keep the same number of events and rounds at local competitions. Perhaps 100 competitor limits will be commonplace and registration could fill up in a matter of days. How do you feel about this? Do you feel that the WCA is or ever will be prepared for this growth? Do you think that it's fair or unfair for competitions to have prerequisites or qualifications, at least for regional and world championships? Okay, well... The first part of the question I can't answer because, unlike Kit, I'm not active in the WCA side of things. I just kind of go to comps and does GJ. Yeah. As for the second part, what was the second part? It's like, do I think it's fair? Yeah. I think I can see why people would think it's unfair, but I think it's going to get to the point where it's justified. And I think you can't just have bigger venues. You can't just get bigger venues over and over again. You're going to need to draw the line somewhere. You're going to need to. What do you say, think about? Right, if, oh, go ahead. Yeah, if you're like I don't know, averaging some slow time, then you shouldn't be allowed to compete at some really high up comp if there's going to be so many people 
wanting to go that deserve it more than just some kid. Sorry if that sounds, you know, dickish, but it's true and it's justified, I think, once it gets to that point. What do you think about changing the WCA time limit from 10 minutes to something faster? That would be interesting because really 10 minutes is, that's not hard. It took me maybe a few days to get like under two minutes consistently. Yeah. Especially considering that how few people will go to a competition for the first time, compete in 3x3 and get anywhere near that time. Um, I checked recently. There's only two people, I think, who have ever gone over 10 minutes officially. That's out of like 30,000, over 30,000 official competitors. So yeah, you can do the math there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's crazy because if to think that to think that keeping is growing as fast as it, as fast as it is, we might have to consider tougher. Well, I don't know if a, a WCA limit, but as far as local competitions go, it's going to be near impossible. It's going to be super competitive in order to even try competing. You'll have you'll have to actually be good in order to compete, which is totally not in the mission of the WCA at all. Yeah, because the mission is what is like fair. Yeah, it's more competitions in more countries with more people. And more fun under fair and equal conditions. And size almost kills them. Well, here's the thing. It's still fair and equal. It's just the standards raised a bit. But as far as more people and more fun... Because there's still a lot of people. Because the community is growing. But, I mean, more people isn't always better. I mean, would you want to go to a Worlds in, like, a relatively... Not small, but, like, same size as U.S. Nationals with, like, let's say 2,000 people. Do you think more people's better there, or like? Oh, no, no, not there. Um, yeah. But as far as as far as more people goes, it's like I think it's more people across the board. But there's got to be a point where cubing gets too big for us. Uh, us yeah, collectively. that's what I'm saying. It'll get too big for its own good because we can't just keep getting bigger and bigger venues. It just won't work. Of course, in the '80s, it was kind of big and then immediately dropped off as this big trend. But since 2003, this is an ongoing community. And do you, do you see yourself stopping cubing anytime soon? I can see myself stop being competitive once I'm, like, way past my prime to the point where it's, like, pathetic if I actually try to keep staying on top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, aside from that, I want to still, like, you know, hang around, see people at comps and whatnot, yeah. I guess. And that's the thing. Like, this activity draws people together. It keeps people in- engaged. And yeah. Even if people but if it gets to the point where... um. You know, you have to be a certain speed to compete, then I can see why that would annoy people. But if this is going to still be a competitive community, then it's kind of just how it has to be, in my opinion. Yeah. It is, a com- it is called a competition, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not, not just, just like, like a, a gathering. Yeah, for the longest time, competitions here in the Bay Area, I would just go to them knowing that I wasn't going to do too particularly great as far as everybody else was concerned. But... I would go as a social gathering to just see other people who are involved in the commu- in, involved in the activity that I'm in, and that's all it was to me. Of course, now being a competition organizer, the complete paradigm shift. But w- with with Cuban growing as much as it is, I think it would. I don't think that anybody's going to be. I don't, I don't think that like a whole substantial amount of people are just going to be leaving the activity entirely, just not showing up to things, not keeping connected with everybody because of how how well cubing brings people together. Yeah, I'm ne- definitely not going to leave community as a whole, like, ever, really. Yeah, I can't do that. Well, th- 
Thank you so much for your responses for that, Jay. I think we've all really enjoyed the discussion. After this commercial break, we're going to be back with some listener questions and all that stuff. So here's that commercial. Listener questions now. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Let's start it off strong. With- so, from our emails, we had um, a, a couple emails. Yeah. We want more emails, guys. We love you and all, but like, damn. All right. Let's get started with these questions. Ready for these, Jay? Yeah, sure. Why square one? Because I can. I was going through a weird phase, but <laughs> I got over it eventually. But you're really good at heaps of events, so why not blind? Because it's hard, and I don't like Memo. Why is Clock only a potential event for Canberra Summer 2015? I want my CR, goddammit. Yeah, because f***ing Tim McMahon and Dean are complete b****s, and they're always like, uh, I don't know if we should do Clock. And I was like, please. Alright, dogs, cats, or ferrets? Uh, cats. Gotta love cats. Mm. Alright, what is your favorite superhero, and why is it Batman? I'm guessing this is from Keaton Ellis, isn't it? Yes, yes. it is. Yeah. Yeah, the next uh, a lot are from Keaton. Okay. <laughs> All right, so which came first? A pure sub-10, average of 5, or a sub-8, average of 5? Okay, this is like a joke between me and a few people, Keaton and Tommy Schlegger, also known as Batman, hence the previous question. <laughs> um, yeah, so for a while I wanted to get what's called a pure sub-10 average, which is all five solve sub-10. And I've had a few fails, including... One where it was like 9999 10.1. <laughs> and then there was another one where it was like, what was it, like 8, 9 plus 2 equals 11, 7, 8, 9 or something. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. But last comp, I did get it. I got, what was it, like 98989 9, 9 or some shit. All right, next question. Have you ever thought about doing an Argentinian dance with a fruit from Southeast Asia? You know, I actually haven't ever thought about that, believe it or not. What is your sweetest dream made out of? Or, no. What is your sweetest my my dream sweetest dreams of? are made of memes. Who uh, am I to disagree? I travel <laughs> the world and the seven memes. Everybody is looking for some memes. Oh, great. So what is your favorite cubing video intro song? Intro song? Oh, man, you know, I love me some Kevin MacLeod. Oh. You, you know, the one is like... Yeah, yeah that, that one. Yeah. All right. How do you gotta go so fast? Because uh, slow is not a real word. Whoa. That was deep. I mean, yeah. it is a real word, but not for you. Nah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, and why you ZZ Huang ask, how do you look ahead for two hands? Oh, God damn it! He asks me this every time we Skype. And I tell him the same thing every time. Stop looking at what you're solving, you scrub. <laughs> Do you know how to skin a cat? Uh, yeah, um, no. <laughs> so yes or no? <laughs> is it yes or no, or is it yes? Under, under pressuring circumstances, I could probably do it, but, well, I, I don't know, I'll just go with no for now. All right. Leave that for another episode. How do you, how do I look ahead for one hand? How do I look ahead? Um. Yes. But is this referring to me or this Andy? Is, or... This is referring probably to Keaton. 
Jason, um, yeah, um, yeah, he's in the same sky calls with me and Andy, so just listen to what I tell Andy, and you should be fine. Alright, when will the Mogi Megaminx come out? Uh, it, it actually just came out. I just released a video recently. It's looks really promising, so you should check that out, because it, it's a real video, I swear. Yeah, great. Okay, who's the co-star for Fifty Shades of Jay? Uh, I haven't decided yet. I'm thinking... Who am I thinking? I was thinking maybe Raja. Would you be Would you be up to that? Uh, I would be more than up to that. You know, you know what parts of me would be very up to that. Mm. <laughs> God, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> All right, Timoy the Batman asks, "Have you ever boxed with a kangaroo?" Uh. Uh. Why? Because you're in Australia, probably. Oh, really? Oh, I thought I had to have something with my hair or something. Okay. (laughs) 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 (sighs) So, have you ever boxed a kangaroo? Oh my god, no. (laughs) How are you enjoying Windows 8.1? Fuck off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I saw that. That, that is so cheap. That is so cheap. How is zeroing going? That's just... I don't even know how to respond to that. Let's go back to the 8.11. Something I'd like to mention is... My computer was, like, updating for a solid hour when that happened. I couldn't use my computer for an hour when I did that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. That's hilarious. That sucks, though. I'm so sorry. The last one... Uh, from this section, um, what is your favorite event, and why is it blind? Uh, 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 uh. Alright, now we're going to be moving on to our Facebook questions. First one from Kit Clement. Dank? Yes. From Ryan Gajew. Are you Jay McNeil? Um, I don't know. I'll have to go check. All right. From Rob Stewart, have you tried Felix's rice pudding? Uh, I've tried, but he's he's real, real stingy about that shit. Oh, yeah. From Ross, Svensson Hornsbauer. Furries? Question mark? Furries? Um, are those like those cat people who, like... <laughs> yes. What are they? They're like from Tumblr, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. They like identify as cats and like, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm aware they exist. All right. Let's, let's sleep there. Ross also asks, if Cubers were porn stars, who would have the best unit? Bro Hessler. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. From Arlo Sims, who sent a ton of them, uh, what motivates you to practice? Um, well, I guess just a few things, I guess. First, I like to set maybe some small goals myself for different events. Like, right now, I want to get decent at Megaminx, let's say top 100 or so. But also just enjoying the puzzle because right now, I don't know why, but Megaminx is just fun to solve, so I've been practicing that a lot. So yeah, just a mix of enjoyment and small personal goals. That's pretty cool. Like, do you aim to be more balanced, uh, have balanced speeds for the events, like a good summer ranks? Or are you trying to really get good at just a few events right now? It's kind of a mix of both. Anytime I try to improve something, 
like for the purpose of summer ranks, let's say clock, I try to get like really good to the point where it's not just, you know, I'm good at a few events and then mediocre at everything else because that's kind of what Mitch does. Whoops. True. <laughs> John's fired again. Jeez. What pew, pew. Um, we kind of already went on this. Uh, things you wish were changed in the Cuban community slash world. Well, I don't know if I really wish, but I mean, we did talk about how eventually there's going to be less nubs at comps due to the fact that we need to downsize somehow, and that's the logical place to do it. Mm. But like, if you other than that, would you add anything to it? Uh, I don't know. I like the atmosphere. I like comps. Would you add any unofficial events that we're about to do? I like 3x3x5, but really, I don't think that's ever going to happen. How about any unofficial events that we're about to do right after this section? Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yeah, no. <laughs> Just, like, shot in the foot and then, like, stabbed, dude. It sucks. Julius, I love you, Ronja. <laughs> what are your goals for the rest of the year? Uh, 3 by 3 sub-8 average. I just want that to happen. That'd be really cool, and I know I'm capable of doing it, so... Eventually, I want that to happen. Skube, I... I want to get world record single, but that's kind of a stupid thing to go for, <laughs> because yeah. it's single... Single's but really bad. I still, just want it. It. I still want it like a proper world record single, not some 427 bullshit. And yeah, just keep on slugging. Also, I want to win Skew and 2x2 at Worlds, but I mean, that's kind of unpredictable because of nerves and pressure and all that. All right, we just have a few more uh, from Ben Zoller. What's it like being a Hollywood superstar? Uh, it's very intense. And then a couple more from Kit Clement that we missed earlier. Can you pat Felix's head and rub his belly at the same time? I will definitely try that next comp. <laughs> and last trip to the bathroom, number one or number two? Um, it. I don't know, does peeing in the shower count? Okay, next question. <laughs> next question. We're done with questions. Yeah! All right, and that's all for our listener questions. Thank you so much for everyone who submitted those. If you'd like to submit more uh, for our future guests, who we won't say right now... Um, Please submit them to our email at cubecast.gmail.com or to our Facebook posts whenever we post about, you know, hey, give us some questions because honestly, we're desperate for questions. Please send them or else we're going to start crying. <laughs> crying very, very much. <laughs> All right. And with that, leads us to our next segment, Skype Team Blind. Oh, goody. All right. Let's get the scramble. Scramble All right. the dock. It's at the very, very bottom. I also put up the... Uh... Alright, so Jay, are we ready to start? I'm going to be timing. Alright, let's do it. Okay. L2, B2. R2. F. R. L'prime, U2L. D. U2. L U two L prime U prime L U L prime. Now, Y. So a Y rotation. Yep. U prime 
Are you prime R prime? U prime. L prime UL. U. L prime UL. U two. R U. R two. U prime. R. U prime. R prime. U two R. And then you, oh uh, crap! You won't know G perms, will you? <laughs> well, I won't know G perm. <laughs> I, okay. I know. I know how to recognize them. Where's All right, the, where's so the block? I'll... Where's the block? Basically. No, I'll just say the alg. R two U prime. R. U prime R. U. R prime U. R two. U D prime. R U prime R prime. U prime D and then solved. You would not believe what I have. I would believe it. Wow, why did you do that, Jay? Because f it. Do <laughs> you see this? How was that? I got like every single okay. Jeez, no. First, it was Noah with his entire solution in blind, and then put it into like checkerboard, and now you're doing this pattern. Jeez, oh. What pattern will be next? Oh, jeez. Oh, that's a that's a good question. We should actually just do that. Like, oh, we're putting we're trying to put it into this pattern. We'll just be here for like eight hours trying to make it go into that pattern. Great. Thanks so much, Jay, for that wonderful team blind. You are welcome. Should we announce our next guest? Yeah, our next guest is a mystery, aka to be announced. So send us your questions for our mystery guest, and we'll, if we like them enough, we'll feature them on the show next time. That pretty much sums up the episode, right? Yes, indeed it does. All right, so thanks so much again for listening. Yeah, th thank you so much, Jay, for being here and doing the awesome thing and putting up with our shenanigans the entire time. Anytime. Yeah. So for all of our listeners, thanks so much again for listening. You can catch this episode and all others at cubecast.cubing.net. Uh, email us your questions, taglines, submissions, anything you like at cubecast at gmail.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, as well as follow our RSS feed and, and keep a watchful eye out for updates in our speed solving thread. Great. And so that's the end of the show. Yep. Until next time.